0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hey, very warm. Welcome to Squatbox. These are your headlines. The S&P 500 posts its 70th record close of the year as markets are a strong finish to a volatile 12 months. And Chief U.S. Medical Advisor Anthony Fauci tells CNBC the pandemic could peak
2: early in the new year. Given the size of our country and the diversity of vaccination versus not vaccination, that it likely will be more than a couple of weeks, probably by the end of January, I would think.
1: Elsewhere, Evergrande shares slump as the troubled Chinese property developer reportedly misses yet another bond payment, wiping out gains for the week. SenseTime time surges on its Hong Kong debut, with the Chinese AI firm now valued at almost $4 billion, despite a bumpy road to its IPO. And the US President Joe Biden accepts Vladimir Putin's request for talks to take place this afternoon amid escalating tensions over a troop buildup near the border with Ukraine. everybody. Well, there's all kinds of ways of measuring inflation, aren't there? Some uh, involve normal people like you and I who actually use energy uh, and use uh, um, food on a daily basis. Others are are looking at core inflation measures, which central banks look at, which decide to just extrapolate without those key factors, which they deem too volatile. Another way of looking at uh, volatility and, and inflation is to look at other things that we all have, including houses. And in the United Kingdom, UK house prices have just blown away expectations. 1% higher month-on-month, Reuters poll was for half of 1%, so twice the increase expected. UK house prices in what has been, let's face it, a very troubled year in many, many ways, up ten percent 4% 4% year on year. So if you're looking to get on the ladder, if you're looking to move as well, you've got to pay 10% extra. Not at least, of course, you've also got to pay uh, the fact that the government takes a vast amount of stamp duty, certainly at the, uh, the higher end as well. So 10.4% increase according to the Nationwide, which is a lender here in the United Kingdom, increase in house prices year on year. So uh, big increase there. Uh, on the uh, UK house price. I'm just looking at one or two other flashes. Actually, let's just get into the dialogue a little bit as well from the Nationwide. They say that the outlook remains extremely uncertain. The strength of UK housing market surprised in 2021 and could do so again in the year ahead. And of course, we have had our first albeit measly rate hike in the United Kingdom, was it 0. 0.125 to get us up to 0. 0.25 uh, base rate from the Bank of England. But many of the key lenders, mortgage lenders, already up their rates over the preceding three months, as we saw. A little bit of a, a bumpy road on whether they would or would not raise rates in November and in December again. Uh, and with an RPI in the United Kingdom, not CPI, they look at CPI, I look at RPI, it's an old-fashioned measure, but have a look at it, over 7% in the United Kingdom with interest rates at 025 Something just doesn't feel quite right, does it? Anyway, let's move on and take a look at some of these uh, equity markets. Uh, Rod just told me I can get up eventually. <laughs> I was quite enjoying sitting down there, Rod. You know, just me and you and about 20-odd viewers. No, there's more than that, though. I know there is. Uh, down 0.1% of one percent for the NASDAQ. They're underperforming, but a flattish session. But that's not the headline. The headline is this. points higher. Well, why am I interested in that? Because, as I mentioned in the headlines, it's the 70th, 7 record close of 2021. We have had 250 trading sessions on the S&P so far in 2021. That means 28% of the time. The S&P has been at a record level. Isn't that extraordinary? That is the highest level we've seen. We won't beat it because we've only got a session and a half left. But it's the highest, or two sessions, I should say. 1995 was the highest with 77 record closes. This one has beaten every other year in the S&P's history in terms of record closes. Pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, but especially when you consider... You've got about 200-odd stocks-ish in, re- in uh, correction territory. You've got about 90-odd stocks-ish in bear market territory. Just shows you about the breadth and the depth of this market or perhaps the lack of it in some cases. So that's very interesting. Let's move on and take a look. A little bit of... Um, oh, here yeah, here is this year. There you go. I'll just show you that. 28% high. It has outperformed most of the major indices. I'll just tell you the NASDAQ 22% high year to date. The Dow is up 19%. The Dow, incidentally, has just put on six out of six sessions to the upside in a row first time since March as well. Uh, Incidentally, the European markets, the only one to have matched this move to the upside is the CAC current, actually, which is up 29%. I'll show you the CAC in a moment. I do want to show you the Turkish lira, just because it's, I think, one of the most interesting pairs out there at the moment as well. So the Turkish lira is oscillating between, well, I saw flat at the start of when I came in, to 5% lower versus the greenback uh, at the worst in the last... 10, 20 minutes, so So it's moving quite aggressively. Currently at 13.1, nearer the high levels for the dollar versus the Turkish currency are on the session as well. But it's been a pretty volatile time, of course. uh, 18 was the handle last week on the pair, then down to 10 the pair this week, uh, and now back up to 13. So big movements on that pair. Asian indices. let's take a very quick look at where they are currently trading. The Nikkei, 4 tenths of 1% easier, flat on the Hang Seng. The Shanghai Composite, 6 tenths of 1% to the good. And the opening calls, I mentioned the Cat Caron and its outperformance this year. Incidentally, the FTSE and the DAX both up circa 15%. Opening calls for European markets, we can have a quick look at those. There we go. Well, that's the closing levels of yesterday. Anyway, um, 74.20, the FTSE back up to a 22-month high there as well. Uh, the SMI underperforming down three-tenths of 1%. Let's get to John uh, Ricciardi, who is the Head of Global Asset Allocation at Deuterium Capital Management. John, very nice to see you. You've still got your tree up. I think we've got a few days before we um, nice. put that down. Um, John, just tell me really briefly, the markets have had a great year. You've been a great advocate for the markets going up. Are they going to do the same in 2022?
2: I think uh, that the markets are actually going to start pretty strong in January. Um, It's been a good run. Um, Really, quite thank you for the recap there. Um, Really interesting. They've been, you know, pushed along by very strong um, central bank liquidity and a huge rebound out of the COVID recession. And that has lifted earnings and expectations, and it actually repriced everything. Um, We're still looking at actually without with the exception of the US very inexpensive markets given how much earnings have risen compared to uh, five-year periods I would say that the European markets and very many of the emerging markets are extremely undervalued right now by as much as 20 15 20 percent only the US is quite expensive but I do think we were in for a wild ride uh, coming this this coming quarter, that it will start well in January, but that it's going to be really thematic around sector rotation when we get to March. And that the last time we had uh, central banks beginning to put the screws and to begin to the tightening, um, they begin tightening tighten because they were afraid that inflation and runaway inflation was really the danger to the global cycle, was back at the end of 2018. And we were at a point where technology had been leading, kind of as it has right now. I mean, they they certainly out informed the S&P, it's, they're up by 33% compared to that. At 28 um, and suddenly that went the other way and we may well look at a quarter that's characterized by an underperformance and kind of a, a relative cliff for technology shares late in the quarter and this is because essentially as the central banks will be tightening or beginning to tighten that the retail sales and consumption patterns upon which technology relies for half. Um, when you think it's Apple, Microsoft, add in Alphabet, you're looking at three companies that represent ten percent of the world's equity wealth. And if you you know if you add in Amazon and um, and Tesla and uh, and uh, and uh, Meta, you're looking at. Fifteen percent, once of the world's wealth um, in uh, equity wealth in six stocks. I don't think they're going to be able to outperform.
1: Those stocks don't outperform.
2: We according to our model. John, I think we've got a bit of
1: break up on the line. I'll just get a quick question in and then hopefully we can get through that break up on your microphone as well. If those six six stocks don't perform, is the rest of the market going to take its leadership from those stocks and actually carry on what we've seen elsewhere in the technology arena uh, with what is quite a heady decline from uh, the highs of earlier this year, John? So if we don't get leadership from those stocks, what hope for the rest of the market?
2: Well, I think it's a funny little bunch in the market that is likely to take over the leadership. It's We're at a funny point where um, retail sales and consumption are beginning to decelerate and even production and exports will begin to decelerate. It's an end of cycle kind of phenomenon where the central banks have begun to tighten and prices are still rising. So you end up with industrials, financials, which are relatively big sectors, 10, 12 percent percent of the market, but also some tiny little sectors like energy and um, let's say real estate that are two and a half, three percent that actually do well because they're also price sensitive where the rest of them actually do um, underperform pretty dramatically. I do think we're going to get a major shift and everybody's going to be talking about sector rotation, not in January, but late by the time we get to March. And it's just a phenomenon is that we're, we're a funny kind of late cycle economy because the central banks did such a good job of getting us out of the COVID recession. I mean, you know, real real growth is 5% inflation is now not in disinflation but looking at 6 7% 5% in Europe it's a booming high inflation economy. And the central banks now are going to say unemployment is low enough. There's enough disposable income. Real economies have recovered. Investment has recovered. Our real job now is to control inflation. And that's going to change the leadership, um, I believe, uh, by the end of March. That's what our models and our scores are telling us. The same way they did in 18, late 18, we were warned that um, the, the markets could um, well have an underperformance in tech.
1: The other bulwarks for the market, supports for the market, if that largesse yes from the central banks disappeared. I mean, the buybacks this year, the dividends have been absolutely phenomenal, John, as well. Will they come into support where the central banks don't as much as they have done?
2: They may well, but... Um, The central banks really are um, the main drivers, I think, of of liquidity around the world and whether or not one of the key aspects of whether investors are happy to hold risk assets or not. And I think they're going to be much less accommodative and that it really doesn't matter that much what everybody else does if essentially all the hurdles for investment, all the hurdles for spending, all the hurdles against savings um, are going up. Um, it's I don't think buybacks would be sufficient at that point. There will be changes in the way the, uh, the corporates and the corporations allocate their resources, but I don't think it would be a buyback driven support for the markets.
1: Interesting, John. John, we're going to leave it there. We lost your picture a little while ago, but they've got a very, dare I say, dashing picture of you up uh, on the screen at the moment (laughs) as well, Uh, channeling your inner James Kahn, I think. Uh, John Ricciardi, who is head of global asset allocation at Deuterium Capital Management. I can start saying Happy New Year to people. I think we're almost there, aren't we? Uh, Meanwhile, the White House's uh, chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, is predicting the latest wave of the coronavirus pandemic may hit its peak in the United States by the end of January. The U.S. hit another record for daily coronavirus cases yesterday. Omicron now accounts for nearly 60% of new infections in the U.S., up from 23% a week earlier. Now, despite the surge, Dr. Fauci says early studies suggest the variant... Causes less severe illness than the deadly Delta strain, whilst a warning against complacency. He said, "The U.S. is not thinking about going into another lockdown.
2: We are not contemplating a lockdown. And I think when you look at countries that so-called lockdown, the lockdowns are not really complete. I don't know of any country right now that, unless there is, you know, one or two exceptions that are completely locked down, they're making." Restrictions greater, but not completely locking down. The World Health
1: Organization is sounding the alarm, though, warning that new coronavirus variants could emerge during the pandemic that render current vaccines useless. Um, COVID cases hit new record highs in many countries. While speaking in Geneva, the WHO chief also accused richer countries of exacerbating the pandemic, but remained optimistic that 2022 could end the acute stage of the pandemic. While 2021 has been hard, I ask everyone to make a New Year's resolution to get behind the campaign to vaccinate 70% by the middle of 2022. We have 185 days to the finish line of achieving 70% by the start of July 2022. And the clock starts now. If we drive this campaign together, we will all be in a much better place by this time next year. Did you see the deficit figures yesterday in the States? If not, I will remind you of how enormous they were. Uh, The U.S. goods trade deficit last month surged to an all-time high it widened by 17.5% to $97.8 billion in November. Huge number. Now, an advanced estimate of wholesale inventories revealed a 1.2% increase in November, whilst retail inventories jumped 2%. Now, the US Federal Reserve is under pressure, of course, as we were pointing out with John Ricciardi there, under pressure to raise interest rates early next year as inflation continues to climb. Steve Leesman takes a look at what's next for the Fed in the year ahead.
0: The three things to watch when it comes to the Federal Reserve in 2022, the virus, inflation, and personnel. Fed Chair Jay Powell is expected to have enough support for his renomination, but some Republican senators could oppose Fed Governor Lael Brainerd's elevation to the vice chair's position. President Biden will have three other spots to fill on the Federal Reserve Board, and two bank president jobs need to be permanently filled by the bank's board of directors. The five new officials in all leaves open the question of just how hawkish or dovish the Open Market Committee will end up being. But Powell's leadership should provide some consistency to policy over time. Markets at the moment are priced in the first rate hike in March and three hikes for the full year, similar to the Fed's own forecast. Fed fund futures show a second hike in June and a third hike by December. The virus and inflation will ultimately determine how far the Fed goes. There are likely more price hikes to work through the system, including from wage gains and from housing. That would be true even if the supply chain bottlenecks clear in the beginning of the year. And that's far from a certainty. The effect of the virus could be to actually make inflation worse, prompting consumers to continue spending on goods rather than shifting to services. It could hurt growth, but also make workers unavailable to produce goods already in short supply. A sense that inflation is worse than forecast could prompt the Fed to a sharper response on rate hikes and on the balance sheet, but a decline in overall consumer activity and weaker growth could prompt the Fed to raise rates more slowly. Steve Leesman, CNBC Business News.
1: Coming up on the show after a bad year, will gold finally rally in 2022? We'll take a look at the outlook for the precious metal and elsewhere in the commodity space. We'll do that after the break. And... For more on the S&P 500's record run this year, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Welcome back. Gold has had a week here, but the price floor could be close, according to HSBC. Volatility due to the pandemic and heightened geopolitical tensions could provide a boost to traditional safe haven assets. But tightening monetary policy may keep the price rise in check. Well, let's get to James Steele. He knows all about this. He's chief metals, uh, precious metals analyst at HSBC. Very nice to see you, James, as ever. Just tell us what gold is supposed to do during inflationary episodes compared to what it is doing. Good morning, sir.
3: Hi, good morning. Um, well, the, the, the history of gold as an inflation hedge is, is, is rather spotty, and it depends very much on where in the cycle you, you, you get in. Um, its history as a safe haven uh, is certainly much more dependable. Um, and, and, and it, it's unlikely, I think, that inflation is going to get to the levels, at least on a sustained basis, that's going to trigger significantly higher gold prices from here. So nothing like a la 1970s where we saw a uh, very sharp uh, stagflation, uh, which uh, triggered very substantial rises in the gold price. We do not see that happening this year coming.
1: Why did gold have this great rally, which, I mean, off the top of my head, I think it was 2018, 2019, 2020, we saw this great rally off, just over $1,000 a troy ounce, and then just stopped. Why did investors fall out of love with it in the last year or so?
3: Well, what we saw, particularly in 2020, was absolutely stupendous uh, ETF purchases. I mean, they were up about 30 million ounces, uh, going up, I think, to a high of 111 million ounces from 81 million ounces at the beginning of the year. And this was really a combination of uh, quantitative easing, uh, uh, very heavy fiscal spending globally, and uncertainty generated uh, by the COVID crisis. And as we got into this year, um, gold reacted the way, in my opinion, it it should have, um, with uh, uncertainty being reduced, um, even though it's come back up again recently. Uh, But overall, we're facing an era of reduced uh, a monetary and fiscal stimulus, combined with uh, uh, at least some progress on the on the COVID front, and that uh, really, I think, reduced the the level of institutional buying uh, that we saw going into into the market. And the ETFs, for example, went from 107 million ounces at the beginning of this year to about 98 million ounces currently, so a, a, a decline there.
1: I, I, there's, a, there's an old saying, I don't know if it's true or not, you can tell me if it's true, that all the gold ever mined would pretty much fit into an Olympic-sized swimming pool. I don't know if that's actually true, James, or not. But, but the fact of the matter is, it, 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 it has a limited supply, um, despite the fact that obviously there is still some production going on globally as well, albeit with concerns about the environmental impact as well. Why does gold, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, why does gold do very little at the moment when you've got all the interest in hedges in areas such as crypto?
3: Well, we haven't seen much of an encroachment. I mean, crypto and gold are really um, quite separate. I know it's easy to talk about them in the same, and 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 they do have some of the same characteristics. But much of the reason that you buy gold for is is its physical property that you can you can actually have it, and it's no one else's credit. Um, uh, you're no one else's counterparty risk, and that's not quite the same with crypto. Also, gold, of course, has the longevity that uh, that, that 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 nothing else has. And so that separates it. Also, you know, gold is treated in, on the institutional and retail level, I think, differently from, uh, from, from from the cryptocurrencies. So
1: those people like myself on this channel who say, well, gold's done nothing as a, as a hedge, whereas a lot of institutional investors who perhaps responsible for those outflows we've seen, in some of those gold ETFs as well, they are wrong or we're wrong to draw conclusions that actually if you're looking for an alternative away, which is a hedge against the oscillation for those factors you just mentioned, like uh, COVID, like fiscal spending, like central bank quantitative easing as well, it's wrong to put gold and cryptocurrencies in a similar bracket when people are looking to diversify.
3: Yes, I think that's correct. And, 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 and really what we're seeing now, uh, when you touched on the inflation issue, you know, we're seeing a bit of a divergence in the, in, in, in the gold market. The, the institutional side has taken more or less the academic side, which is the majority of economists seem to have uh, HSBC's own view and uh, most central banks' view, which is that inflation will peak next year and then moderate a bit afterwards, uh, whereas um, uh, uh, the man on the street, and, and hence uh, we've, we haven't had great ETF purchases. Whereas the man on the street, um, globally, in fact, is, seems to be much more concerned over inflation. And we've seen very heavy coin and retail bar, small bar buying. So we've got, we've, we've, we've got an interesting divergence there in, in the gold market. Um, but I think, I think the way to look at gold uh, uh, is more as a safe haven and a portfolio uh, a diversifier than, than an outright inflation hedge.
1: What about this brilliant flash yesterday? I don't know if you saw it, James, but it was the Turkish Central Bank on this show, literally one day ago, said they're going to have comprehensive studies will be carried out to increase the amount of gold uh, collected from under the mattress. I love that flash. I don't know why it just really—I uh, don't know, hit a note with me as well. Gold under the mattress. Why is the Turkish Central Bank so excited about
3: this? Well, I can't speak for the for the Turkish Central Bank um, uh, uh, and their and their policies. But I can point out that central bank purchases of gold, and I'm not I'm not talking about Turkey here. I'm talking about collectively um, in the pre-COVID years of 2018, 2019, were at record levels. We fell last year, but we're right back up again, and we're, we've got over well over 400 tons of gold has been purchased by the central banks, and we we expect there to be even more uh, purchases uh, next year, and and that's based on the fact that trade has recovered, and so. The current um, uh, many central banks will have more dollars with which diversify uh, uh, out of out of out of the out of their foreign exchange holdings and to hold on to something more tangible. You know, in back in the um, um, Asian crisis, which I'm actually old enough to remember, 1990, 1997 to 1999, I believe, um, uh, Korea, the central bank of Korea, very effectively mobilized its gold reserves to stop uh, uh, to stop a flow in the wan and. Uh, and came out of the Asian crisis quicker than any other country at that, at, at at that time, and that's because of their their judicious uh, uh, mobility uh, mo- mobilization of their gold reserves. So it I, is with- it is useful, and and central banks realize that as as well as many institutional investors.
1: Yeah, you, you can't just get age one on me. I remember all that as well. I was around. Unfortunately, I think I might have been trading something. Well, you uh- don't.
3: You also, don't look it, and I think that's the difference I'll between you and. let that. you smoothie.
1: But I also remember a similar kind of period. Golden Brown selling. What did he sell it at? Two eighty-two was that the price he sold our gold? Oh, a large lump of them, didn't he?
3: Yes, yes, I'm afraid so. And um, and uh, I remember uh, many people at the time uh, 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 were thinking possibly that was the bottom of the market. Um, <laughs> Now, some 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 central banks are very heavily weighted towards gold, but we haven't seen any major uh, uh, central bank sales for at least 10 years. But it is true that from about 1990 up until the uh, uh, early part of uh, of this century, we saw consistent central banks selling and the gold price weakened.
1: Yeah, I've just found the, the, the copy on Wiki says um, they sold it. Gold reached a low of 252 bucks on 20th of July 29, uh, 1999, uh, the UK sold 400 tons, just under, of gold over 17 auctions. Average price of 275. Thank you, Gordon, for that one. Uh, quick question for you, though, James. Um, where is the price of gold going in 2022? I know you, you think it's going to form a floor and perhaps go up, but is, have you got a number for us?
3: Um, well, actually, it's very slightly lower from where we are now. We have an average of 1,740 dollars an ounce. A range, though, of 1,850 to 1,650. So we see about a 200 dollar. An ounce range, and the reason for that is that around 1850 and above, uh, the jewelry market uh, gets hurt. We see reduced in uh, purchases from India and, and and China, as 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 well as producer uh, hedging, forward selling at that at that time. Anything below 1700 um, re-triggers more jewelry demand and um, and probably brings in more central bank uh, buying as well. So that's what gives us our range. But the fact that we are entering a period of reduced fiscal and um, uh, uh, monetary easing is going to provide the major headwind, but there's simply enough geopolitical risks to keep us from falling uh, uh, too far from present levels.
1: Man, James, is it really? Are you really in Massachusetts?
3: It's 2:30 in the morning, sir. I'm speaking to you uh, on a holiday from Martha's Vineyard on, uh, oh, on, uh, okay. on, on oh, in Massachusetts I no right sim-
1: now. I, I thought you, you, you on your holiday, and you take your suit and shirt and tie with you, good man. <laughs> this,
3: this was this was for sure. C- we, we, we don't treat these things lightly. No, uh, HSBC no. for for an appearance on CNBC. <laughs> oh, well, you, you're about the only one who
1: does dress up, James. I do appreciate it. I really do.